on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm your host, Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll start the show with some genre-related news. China's Chang'e 5 spacecraft launched on November 23rd from Wenchang Space Launch Center in Hainan Province. The craft is bound for the moon, where it will land robots that will collect lunar material for study. The last such mission was made by the Soviet Union in 1976. The craft is expected to collect approximately four and a half pounds of moon rocks and return to Earth by mid-December. It was announced this week that The Expanse has been renewed for a sixth season, which will be the last for the popular sci-fi series. The show originally aired on sci-fi. It moved to Amazon Prime at the beginning of season four. Season five debuts December 16th. Cast member Cass Anvar will not be returning for the final season amidst multiple allegations of sexual misconduct. Last Friday, the city of Burbank, California unveiled a seven-and-a-half-foot-tall statue of Batman. You heard it right. The DC Comics character has been immortalized in bronze. The statue weighs 600 pounds and was funded by the city's destination marketing organization, Visit Burbank. It is based on a drawing by famed comics artist executive Jim Lee. Burbank Mayor Sharon Springer referred to Batman as Burbank's newest resident. She added, the Batman sculpture and the ones to follow help showcase Burbank as a leading tourist destination and will further highlight the city's status as the media capital of the world. If you visit, you can find the statue on the AMC walkway of downtown Burbank. DC Comics relocated its headquarters to Burbank from New York in 2015. And a significant anniversary this week, as November 22nd marked 80 years since the publication of All-Star Comics No. 3, which featured the debut of the Justice Society of America. The JSA was co-created by Gardner Fox and Sheldon Mayer and was the very first superhero team in comic books. We're talking about that on today's show. And joining me today are Drew Bittner and Julian Lytle and Camille Richardson. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, as you heard in the intro, uh, this past week was the 80th anniversary of the publication of All Star Comics issue number three. Uh, I dare say the comic that started it all. This was the first appearance of the Justice Society of America. And, of course, the JSA was the first superhero team in comic books if you can imagine that. And that was 80 years ago this week on November 22nd, 1940. I'm just curious uh, what, well, what, what you guys have to say about that. Um, Drew, be long-winded about this. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, 
I think the, the, the real breakthrough, and this was a huge breakthrough in terms of comic book storytelling, was that it, it not only brought all these different characters together, all of them pretty much had, had started in their own titles by this point or had been seen by some at some point. Um, it not only brought them together, it gave you the sense that there's a, an actual world of these heroes and villains going on here. They're all in the same place. They're all doing things at the same time. And that concept of like a superhero universe was just revolutionary, I think. Because um, you had Superman stories and Batman stories and Wonder Woman stories. And, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman at that point were still very new characters. You know, Batman had been barely out for a year at that point. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we're just going to put these brand new characters into this thing together. And they'll take on big stories and big villains and... You know, they'll, they'll wind up fighting the Nazis, and it's like, that's kind of revolutionary. It's kind of like big big picture thinking, and it's easy to look back on and say, oh yeah, it's kind of, it's just a, a natural, it's a gimme, it's obvious, but in terms of getting from all these different individual books to, we're going to have a whole world where all these people are doing all their things all together, that's a pretty big step, and I think, like you know, Yuli said before, it, it paved the way for so much else that was to come. I mean, without this as a foundation to build on, there's so much that just would not have happened the way that it did. For me, it's just amazing to see because, uh, you know, it's the, it is the one team that kind of set it off. Um, the whole idea, you know, a lot of what Drew was saying, but like, you know, we're going to take these characters that that we didn't think and then we're gonna put them together and they're gonna squad up and it kept permutating you know from that i think you know there's other teams but then i guess the next big dc team is uh you get to the legion before you even get to the justice league and then you get to the justice league and then like um guy over there uh stan lee's cousin older cousin whatever was like hey man we need one of that go make me one of that <laughs> and then you get a fantastic forward and that leads to a bunch of the Marvel age leads to the Avengers you know you get to the X-Men and then you get to now it's like what is the most dominant thing um, in entertainment it's you know it's a, it's a superhero franchise something that none of us really thought we would we would be sitting at and talking about or getting to this point was like the most dominant media property is a superhero team like you know you get to a point where you think about like you know, yeah, superhero like Batman. You know, Batman's basically the three dollar bill. You know, Spider Man's basically the six dollar bill. You think, okay, yeah, solo, but a whole squad, three billion dollars. <laughs> so yeah, like that started something. You know, it even set out the whole archetypes. You know, the speedster, the um, the warrior, the tank, the uh, energy person, uh, the one lady. Uh, you know, <laughs> later on, later on, I think they did kind of get a second. They got Red Tornado with her pot. You know, she out here. Um, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite characters of all time. But uh, <laughs> you know, it put, it put a lot of things in motion that we still use and still think about, and they're able to keep them around and keep them around as old people, old people superheroes. A lot of people don't talk about old people superheroes. When they tried to reinvent them and made them all young in the New Fifty Two, now nah, ain't work. Nah, nah. They gotta be old. They gotta be senior citizens. They gotta get discounts. That's what makes them work in the modern day. 
Like, I don't even know if I want an old Superman. You got to have young Superman and old Superman. You put old Superman on it, too? Oh, we, we living. We cooking with grease. Like, oh, man, we got old Superman <laughs> with the, the gray sides. Yo, yeah. And then when they brought in, like, old Superman, like, you know, Justice High Superman, it's like, oh, man, things got real. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, old Superman here. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> he just fits. It's like, oh. Yeah, so you got regular, regular Superman with the Justice League. Well, oh, old Superman. Now you know it's real because you know old Superman. He gotta be strong because he got old man Superman strength. Because old man strength is already stronger. <laughs> but then you got old man strength and he's Superman. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what made Christ came to Earth so hard too. He be like, yo, old Superman about to get into it. He about to rock the anybody, and he rock him. And he be like, then he go go away, retire. Like golly. Like, mm. Ain't that good? Yeah, fulfill it. <laughs> Old superheroes. You couldn't have that without JSA. Old superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. Well, um, and uh, all right. Well, uh, it, let's let's go ahead and uh, let Camille have something to say about all this, and uh, and then I want to pivot back to uh, something that you had said about these old superheroes but uh come definitely different like demographics and especially in terms of like I, i've noticed a huge difference between the shop i'm running now versus the one i was running out in virginia um where you know it age actually kind of determined what they knew with like gsa and and uh teams or superheroes like that so we we had a little bit of an older clientele uh, at the old shop so uh, i would actually hear a lot more about all of this uh, there than in the, where I am now. And I'm finding that within DC, it seems to be a little bit more modern. So that's kind of interesting to me. But but I mean, even still, you, you still have, you know, just as many people invested and and so forth. But I, I've seen, I've just seen way more of it, you know, with, with, some, with older folks, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, as one might expect, uh, you know, given uh, the nature of of these characters and what what i was going to say was the justice league of america was the team that i had the greatest affinity for and i was never really down with the justice society even though i knew that team had primacy up until uh they brought all-star comics back there was that all-star comics revival in the 70s and paul levitz was writing it and wally wood was drawing it and they did the Earth 2 version of Supergirl, which was Power Girl, and they had introduced her. But basically, it was uh, Power Girl and uh, Robin and the Star-Spangled Kid as this super squad in All-Star Comics. And uh, But then they introduced the Justice Society as uh, sort of... Um, uh, supporting characters in this. And there was a lot of really cool stuff that they had. But um, for all the other characters that they did, um, they hadn't, they, you know, and because like Julian was saying, they were older. A lot of them were retired or like semi-retired. Um, Superman was one of those who was retired. And there is a great, I mean, but after a couple of issues, I guess somebody was like, well, we got to bring him back in. And there's uh, there's a really great, uh, two or three page sequence where uh, you see uh, mature Clark Kent and he's got gray hair at the temples a la Reed Richards and he is the editor-in-chief of the Daily Star and uh, you know the call goes out and um, he is he notes that the newspapers are being loaded on the truck for delivery and his work there is done 
his disguise undiscovered for another day. He walks a familiar <laughs> path down the halls, you know, to a, a familiar storeroom, you know, in a time-worn fashion. <laughs> he uh, un- uh, takes off his outer garments to reveal this colorful costume. It's like a living legend lives again, you know, and he leaps out at the window and somebody on the ground is like, Look up in the sky, you know. And it's like, oh my God, it's Golden Age Superman, you know. And uh, I mean, this this stuff just gets you so hyped for all of this. I mean, and and part of it is again the primacy of it because I was reading this stuff as a younger person. You know, you get uh, reprints of the Golden Age issues, or uh, you know, you uh, you find uh, stuff in a um, collected edition or something. So I had read. Uh, the original Flash uh, comics. Uh, I had read a lot of the original Green Lantern stuff, or at least the origins. And uh, I got to tell you, I was not down with Mercury Helmet Flash at all. I'm like, oh, Jay Garrick, oh, that's corny, you know? It's like, look at him, you know? I like that. I mean, I I just dug that red and yellow outfit of the, uh, you know, the, the revival Flash. But now I really I, I really kind of like Jay Garrick. I like the Mercury helmet and this yeah. other stuff. Still not as down with uh, the the older Green Lantern or the what? older Adam and stuff. Yeah, I mean you know he's okay. I gotta say I like that. I like that more modern Green Lantern costume. I like all the modern costumes, but the cape on Green Lantern it's like eh. And you ain't part of an intergalactic police force. It's just you. You yeah, know that's like, right. <laughs> that's make him harder. He. He runs a whole media conglomerate. He runs a radio station. Hard. Hard. He patrol Gossip City first. Hard. I, I Thomas Wayne looked up, knew him. I thought it was ridiculous that Alan Scott's called the Green Lantern, but has no green in his costume. <laughs> right. He got the lantern green, though. The lantern green, that ring green. Oh, I love him. I love him. The way they played him out. And, it, and then he got the magic. Oh, he's the magic baby he be fighting Solomon Grundy. Yeah. I think what I, I fell into JSA uh basically just from reading like the comics and like the um the trading cards in like the 90s when everybody had like a you know, everybody Marvel did the trading card set, then like, you know, the X-Men pump jumped off and then like everybody started making them and then like the DC ones was cold because they had like legacy. They would just show you like, oh, what is this age stuff y'all talking about? What do you what do you mean? There's what you know. Marvel was just like, "Hey, Captain Marvel's here. He's dead. Uh, there's no new. It's Quasar. You know, it's like it's like, oh, okay. You go to DC. Was like, well, oh, Golden Age. Oh, Superman. Oh, they way different. They different though. You turn the back and he's like the JSA. Like, hmm. oh, and then there's like, oh, you mean? And then and then the Crisis thing is like, oh, and then like I think um, there was the Elseworlds book called uh, Golden Age. Camille, this is one of the best modern age superhero team stories period like bar none like i've read this joint like four or five times when i worked at the camp i would just let the other counselors read it and some of the kids too like yeah go read that go sit down leave me alone and go read it. and they come back it's like man that was it was like oh that was that was incredible it's like yes i know and i'll read it again when they work it was great. <laughs> right it was so perfect it was, oh man but that that one uh, getting into it, like Crisis on Infinite Earths, going back, reading old stuff, learning about the you know Crisis on Earth X, this Crisis it is, Crisis on Earth on Earth S, like let's go hang out with Billy Bassett and them, like like all those different crises and they would just team up and then you find out like oh there's two different Black Canaries and then, 
old Green Arrow didn't have the beard, and but you know, uh, socialist Green Arrow got the beard, and they, you know, all these type of things <laughs> just get into it. <laughs> and then the way they just folded it in, it's like, oh, they were stuck in limbo. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, per Degaton, and oh, they got such crazy different villains, like ultra humanite. What you mean a dude that stuck his brain in a giant white ape? Like, huh? <laughs> oh man, like, what do you, what this is bananas? They still fight Nazis. You know, hey, you know, you think how, how, how timely that is. They they still fight Nazis. <laughs> you mean like reading like two thousands, like, huh? Like they're still out here, you know. You could always fight some Nazis. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA ninety six point seven FM. We are Arlington. Uh, I'm Ulysses E. Campbell, and I am joined today by. Uh, Camille Richardson and Drew Bittner and Julian Lytle. We are talking the Justice Society of America, that first super team of all super teams that actually celebrated the 80th anniversary of the publication of their first issue earlier this week. Uh, I want to sort of expand this conversation because uh, as happens with uh, anything that is successful, other people begin to copy it. And a team of superheroes, uh, well, other publishers said, hey, we, we need to do this. And so the uh, Justice Society of America led to other teams like the, uh, uh, what was it, the All Winners Squad and the mm-hmm. Newsboy Legion and the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Wow. And I just think it's interesting how you see this explosion of these other super teams across other publishers and other books during the 40s. Because I I personally, when I first uh, started subscribing to comics, and uh, at the time, it was difficult to even find the comics that you wanted on a regular basis. The sweet shop or the drugstore or the newsstand where you found one issue one month you return there the following month for a continued story, you might not be able to find the next issue in that same place, the way that distribution went at the time. So I decided that I was going to subscribe, and that way you never miss a comic. Well, I'm looking down the incredible roster of comics that were available with DC and Marvel, and I decided that I was going to try to maximize my money. And so rather than subscribe to a single superhero comic, I was buying team books. I had a subscription to the Justice League of America and the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. And so I'm like, you know what? I got all this covered and I'm going to see more superheroes by buying these team books than I would if I were buying an individual book. And I got to believe that in some form or fashion, the publishers making these decisions to... Uh, published team books, they were thinking something along the same lines. You know, hey, we're going to get these folks who can't seem to get enough of these super team characters uh, and uh, and we'll get their money. And maybe if they want to buy Captain America, they'll buy that. But they'll also buy the all-winner squad because they want to see Cap teamed up with uh, the Submariner and the Human Torch and the Wizard and Miss America. Winners. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then what was actually what was the other one? Because uh, uh, Bucky and Taro were in a book. It was the Young Allies, <laughs> the Young Allies. What, 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 what do you guys think about the explosion 
during the golden age of these team books? Um, I think that nothing succeeds like success, and everybody wants to be second. <laughs> nobody, want, nobody wants to try being first. Um, that once the Justice Society showed it can be done, that DC and other publishers just said, holy cow, we've got a hit, and they started pumping out team books. And all this, not just explosion of, of team books, but also experimentation. And like Julian was saying before, we sort of got to the formula. You know, we, we got the the classic team lineup where you have the speedster, the, you know, the, the smart guy, the the tank, the the flyer, the, you know, all these people that have kind of their specialty, but they're all sort of the same kind of gestalt, you know, and they all sort of have the same roles in, you know, team after team. And there's, and, and we identify where all these teams, how they, how they get built. And the, the golden age was great at sort of figuring all that out. And we also got in the golden age really the first family team, which was the Marvel family. You know, mm-hmm. Captain Captain Marvel and you know his sister and his best friend. That was really the the first family concept for a team that would later be echoed in like Fantastic Four and others. You know, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I saw some of those like Uncle Marvel and you know, I mean, all this the stuff. Lieutenant I mean, Marvels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they went they went nuts with some of that stuff, you know. But uh, you know, again, Fawcett, Fawcett, if I'm not mistaken, they were outselling national periodical publications at the time. They were. Shazam was a more popular book, or uh, Captain Marvel was a more popular book than Superman. And that's why they got sued. If you can't beat them, <laughs> then you <Sue> beat them. <laughs> it took a few lawsuits to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it took them a while, but they ultimately got him. But you know, national periodicals had been uh, very successful at getting rid of uh, opposing characters by doing that. You know, I mean, I I, I dare say uh, the first time a strategy like that had been successfully employed in professional comics. Yeah, I yeah. say entertainment. Period. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, do you guys have a uh, you know favorite team? From the 1940s? Go for, sorry, from the golden age, I could say. Seven <laughs> soldiers of victory is hard. They hard. They're a great team. They're a great, they're a great team. They're a great idea. I love them. They lose. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> they're a great team. And it's interesting because, I mean, not many of them ever really had a long-lasting series of their own. Like, they oh. weren't, they weren't pulled in from other books. They were more or less, you know, just kind of pulled together from backup stories and and other stuff. So, you know, they they were second stringers who who got a shot at the big time. Yeah, I think my favorite from from the from the old days would probably be just society. I mean, I, I love a lot of those old characters. I love I love Doctor Fate. I love the Spectre. Um, I think they're all terrific characters. And I was I was really glad when DC made the decision in the '70s to revive them. And bring them back in as supporting characters for, you know, like, um, you know, Young All-Stars and Infinity Inc. and all those books. This isn't even a team that I have read a lot about, but I just like them anyway. I kind of like the look at them. The, the Blackhawks, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah. Man, they got them outfits, you know, it's like, you know, and Blackhawk especially. Cause, yeah, they fly oh, planes. They fly planes like... before the Thunderbirds exist. Man, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, that is so freaking cool. It's, it's like, 
<laughs> and in fact, as I recall, they had a little song. It's like, uh, you know, over land, over sea, we fight to make men free of the danger. We don't care. We're Blackhawks. You know, it's like, I don't know if I have the tune correctly, but you know, it's like, gave it they me. added at the yeah. end. <laughs> Seemed like it came in the right time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, I mean, in fact, um, I, I, uh, I want to say that I want to say they're doing some revival of the Blackhawks, although you'll never get to anything better than those propeller planes. I mean, you can put them in modern jets. It still ain't cool. It's <laughs> when they were in them propeller planes doing their thing. You know? mm. Well, one of the interesting things about uh, this whole team concept uh, is and Drew, you said it. Uh, at the outset, uh, the idea that this was a larger world and these individual characters that people had seen uh, were actually part of a broader community that, you know, if you looked on the fringes of the pages or uh, some other uh, portion of the book or even imagined what was happening outside the book, uh, inferred that all of these things were interconnected and goodness knows uh, we have certainly gotten to a point where that is important and in fact that's the whole key I think behind the success of the Marvel movies uh, you know this interconnectedness mm -hmm. and the shared universe concept that uh, now seems to be being copied across various media platforms well sure so Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, it is it is all worthy of note. But look, that musical cue means that we have come to the end of the first segment, uh, and I want to remind everybody that W E R A ninety six point seven uh, and streaming via W E R A dot FM. Uh, you know, this is all community media, and this wonderful institution that is community media relies on you to be a part of it and to promote it and to nurture it i want you to visit the website at wera.fm find out how you can support this fabulous institution called community radio community media so uh what's going to happen uh, julian and camille and drew and i are going to pause momentarily while we acknowledge the invaluable contribution of the underwriters and sponsors without whom we could not continue to broadcast. We're also going to take a moment to promote some of the other fine shows that you can hear on WERA 96.7 FM. But don't touch that dial, because we'll be back with more Fantastic Forum right after this. And welcome back to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington, and streaming via WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Camille Richardson and Julian Lytle and Drew Bittner. And when we took the break, we were talking a little bit about superhero teams and comic books because last week, on November 22nd was the 80th anniversary of the publication of All-Star Comics number three, which just happens to be the debut of the very first superhero team in comic books, 
which was the Justice Society of America. So we've been talking a little bit about the JSA and some other Golden Age teams, but the key to all of that is that this was the foundation that led to the bridge that is carrying us to the future. And so uh, I'd like to move forward in time just a little bit. And uh, I guess the launch point in the Silver Age was the formation, the launch of the Justice League of America. And uh, of course, the Justice League of America was uh, sort of JSA uh, Redux, but there it is. And this led to a whole new resurgence of superhero team books. In fact, notably, particularly the Fantastic Four, because as legend has it, Martin Goodman, who was the publisher of Marvel Comics, was having he was playing a round of golf with his DC counterpart who was bragging of the success of this new book they had put out team of superheroes and as the story goes Martin Goodman returned to the office to Stan Lee and he said DC is killing it with this Justice League of America super team damn it Stan we need a team of superheroes and Stan Lee put his nose to the grindstone and came up with the Fantastic Four certainly not your average superhero team. Uh, Drew, you mentioned in the first segment that uh, the Marvel family was uh, really the first uh, team that was a family, and uh, the next team that was a family was the Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. It's true. And the Fantastic Four was different in that they were an actual family. They were, you know, a, a... You know, there was a couple at the core of it. There was a younger brother. There was the, the best buddy. And and they had much stronger and much more obvious family bonds than, you know, Billy Batson and, you know, Mary Bromfield and Freddie Freeman and Uncle Dudley, you know, um, who were a family in sort of this nebulous sense. But there was no, like, you know, central couple in, in the midst of it. And the Fantastic Four was really just that. They were the first real family that was um, meant to be a bunch of explorers and superheroes. And um, and it was kind of interesting in a way, too, because the Fantastic Four was really more of a, you know, gosh, wow, science of the 1950s, like 1950s B-movies in in concept. Um, they were more they, were, they they had they owed more to like the challengers of the unknown you know, a lesser known DC team um, of that of that era um, than to really any of the super teams that had come before them. Um, they were explorers. They were scientists. They were dealing with weird science more than with kind of the ordinary super villain that, you know, like a Superman, Batman or Spider-Man would be dealing with. So, um, again, a, a kind of a revolutionary concept in its own way. And Stan Lee deserves enormous credit for for bringing that to to story to, com, to comic book storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, something else that I think was revolutionary about the Fantastic Four uh, was that it was it was about well, I don't know if this necessarily 
revolutionary, but the fact that it was about American exceptionalism, and that is something that you can't separate from the Fantastic Four. I think it's part of the reason that the more modern film adaptations have not been successful, because mm. you, if you were going to do the Fantastic Four, you really got to do it as it was intended, which is sort of like a period piece now. I mean, this was, uh, what, 1962? I want to say, and you still mm -hmm. had uh, the lead 61. characters, yeah, Reed and Ben, who were World War II era guys, and uh, Johnny was a uh, hot rodder, you know, a la nineteen um, fifties. Uh, yes, yeah, and uh, and then of course you had the girl, you know, but uh, who was all, who was literally invisible, but uh, you know, pretty girl nonetheless, and you know, young chick who was involved with the brilliant scientist and all that. And, uh, you know, so these were archetypes, but, uh, you know, what it was about was, oh, we're going to beat the Reds into outer space, and this is a big deal because we're Americans and we're better than everybody else in the world, and, uh, you know, we're going to show you these American archetypes, and uh, that that's how we're going to get over. So, uh, again, I, I in, in the sense that a lot of superheroes are, like, archetypical. Uh, I don't know that it was uh, particularly... I mean, I was selling that, yes, yes, it's... But, you know, yeah, I don't know that it was all that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I... You know, the, the FF is, is one of those that I like. I mean... Oh, yeah, I, but, and that's... And that's, what, and that's why I go, I go back to, like, the 1950s, like, you know, B science fiction movies, because it was very much the same sort of thing. It was like, you know, that, yeah, we're going to send a rocket to the moon, and, you know, and, and the girls watch the science thing. Oh, Doctor Richards, you're so heroic. <laughs> you know that, that sort of thing. So you know, yeah. what a, what a man and what a brain. <laughs> yeah. But you know, this led to a bunch of other teams in the in the in the Silver Age. You know, and uh, I mean, you mentioned the challenges of the unknown. It was funny because I was just making a note about them as you threw that out. But also, I think about the Sea Devils and the Atomic Knights and. You know, mm -hmm. the metal men and the doom patrol and it's like dag you know and then you know you get to the bronze age. well actually hey I, I, the defenders you know was that bronze age or were they sneaking in there towards the end of the silver age too um you know i think that's kind of the end of this like yeah it, that's it, it, the it, it, things like the challenges actually like you know they they predate predate the fantastic four because yeah oh heck yeah the the, the influence of the challengers on the FF in terms of like yes. how they look and the number and like so yeah it's like you know there's like little things like that that sometimes it's like some of the, the crazier concepts that or weirder concepts that probably weren't looked at because like the challenges weren't even they were not even a super team they were just like some adventurers they're like oh man we almost died so now we gotta do crazy stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I... and, and they just and then from there you get to you know the Marvel Age is, is interesting because they just kept building on uh, superheroes and and soap opera, so you know um, you can pull out uh, stuff that, that of the romantic com the ro the romance comics of the fifties and just merge mm -hmm. it back with the superhero uh, tropes, and that's how you know as as much as it's a family, it is because like uh, you know Reed and and uh, Ben are homies, but they got conflict because it's like, yo, I'm a big orange rock monster. Like, how come you can't figure this out? <laughs> yeah, and because then, of you, I'm a big orange rock yeah. monster. <laughs> and then, like, you got a 16-year-old kid always aggravating me, and he just want to drive some cars with his Native American homie, Wyatt. And then, like, <laughs> you know, for some reason, Reed 
out here being a, he's out here creeping you know he, he grown man he fought in world war ii he got great sideburns and he with like a 20 year old it's like mm. <laughs> but it's like it's all works because you know they get married they have you know family life and they got in humans and everything else and then you know but it, <laughs> and then you you get the x-men and you get the avengers the x-men is interesting because it, it, you're trying to deal with like real issues of, of of the civil rights movement and racial tensions and then you get uh the and uh and the avengers is just they come together it's just like hey let's all these other people that aren't in teams already uh well you we just put them in the team too like oh yeah rick jones he, he's rick jones and loki that's how we'll do it like yeah okay it'll work it'll work it'll work yeah. you know and then i'm saying across the street you know Justice League was already pumping out. Teen Titans was coming together. Legion was already fire from the 50s. Mm. So it's like Legion Superhero was already popping, popping. It was in their first wave before like a, they let a 14-year-old kid write it, and then it got even better. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got the right 14-year-old kid to write it. <laughs> <I mean, That's laughs> you know, I mean, in fact, that was, I, I got to say, Legion of Superheroes is one of my absolute favorite books and and um i when i met him i asked jim shooter about that i mean because the fact that he was as young as he was and the stories were as good as they were i mean it was like dag to be a freaking kid you know i mean but the whole concept i mean because that that particular mashup superheroes science fiction i'm like what what it, of course it's and teenagers on top of that it's like oh you go mix these things up how can you go wrong are you going to throw in Superboy on top of everything? It's like, oh, and we got some Supergirl, too? Oh, and Brainiac 5's in love with her? Why not? <laughs> it's like, why not? But, hey, um, I, I, I do want to ask, I mean, because now that we're getting to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the more contemporary point, um, I'd sort of like to touch base with everybody and see uh, you know, if you, well, number one, if you do have a favorite super team, and if you do, what is it? And we're going to start with our rugged individualist, uh, Camille Richardson. X-Men was my everything. Um, it started from the animated show, which got me then into all the cards that you were talking about, Julian, and like what, Fleer Ultra, Flare Ultra, mm -hmm. Marble Masterpiece, all of that. I all still have that. them all. Yeah. Um, you know, Skybox, all that nonsense. But yeah, I got, I got heavy into it uh, when I was a kid and, you know, not knowing as a kid, you know, started as a civil rights book. I also saw it in a different way, which I was extraordinarily bullied. And um, uh, I had no friends. I was very isolated, all those kind of things. And the one thing that why I held X-Men so dear is that no matter what, no matter how, you know, how mean people can be or how bitter they can make you, like, still do the right thing. Even when you people don't like you, just still do the right thing. That's the answer at the end of the day. Um, and I don't know. It, it just it's helped, and it helped kind of form my moral and ethic growing up. So um, that's kind of what started it all. And I mean, I fell in for me. I fell in love with Rogue, and uh, just kind of spiraled from there. But that you was know, my I OG. <laughs> I should I should have guessed that you fell in love with rogue because uh well for no full full disclosure uh you know camille is an extraordinary cosplayer and uh the when i first met you 
you were cosplaying the hell out of Rogue. <laughs> I mean, <in> fact, <laughs> when I think of Rogue, I think of you. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> it turned out you know? to not be the best thing to have in a comic shop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, with the understanding that, uh, you know, Rogue is your uh, favorite character, it's like, do you have a favorite X-Men story? Something that resonates with you? Uh, I mean, I did love, like, the heyday of, like, right, like, Dark Phoenix straight into Days of Future Past. I mean, I know I'm kind of talking on some of the biggest ones, but... I loved it and how beautifully seamless it was and like seeing Cyclops just kind of absolutely lose it and call it a day and being, I'm leaving the X-Men. And it's just like, what? How can you leave the, the team that you had? Um, I just, I absolutely love that. And I, and I read that probably late teens, just cause I was reading some of the, like just the regular um, Claremont and, and stuff, but, but uh, after, you know, with, with Jim Lee and everything with the 92 mm-hmm. read, redo or 91 i should say mm. uh, but yeah so i didn't read that until later and it hit me hella hard even as you know an older teen uh really really appreciate that and then seeing you know in the future how people could be so discriminated against and it's like well god do we ever get to a good place with that kind of thing the x-men was one of the most important books to me and when they brought it back, you know, with Giant Size X-Men number one, and then because uh, they had been running reruns with the X-Men. In fact, that was where I discovered it. And uh, I, I had no idea who these characters were. It was like, wait a minute. what? I mean, the X-Men would pop up as supporting characters during this period in some other books. In fact, I remember during Steve Englehart's run on Captain America, a very noteworthy run with the Secret Empire saga in the mid-1970s, the X-Men were supporting characters because they didn't have a book of their own. This was the only place you were going to see new X-Men stories. And they even put on their old... Their books did get canceled. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mm. you know, just worse than canceled, they're doing reprints. You know, it's like, oh, Oh. we're just going to start reprinting these old issues. When they brought it back uh, with issue 94, and it was bi-monthly at first, but uh, I tell you what, I was... I was so moved by what I was reading, and apparently everybody else was too. And and then they hit their stride when uh, the team fought Magneto, and uh, they they were separated because uh, Magneto had them all imprisoned beneath this volcano, and he had a robot that was taking care of them, and they had these devices on them to reduce it to take their powers away and reduce their um reflexes to like that of infants and uh fortunately storm was able to help them to escape because even as an infant you know her reflexes were very well developed and she had these lock picks in her tiara and uh, you know she was able to dislodge the tiara from her head and use her tongue to grab one of these lock picks and pick the lock that was holding her arms in these chairs. And it was like, Oh my God, this robot nanny, uh, you know, had them in prison. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just, it was an incredible story, but then Magneto comes cause he had been hanging out at asteroid M and uh, he comes down and he, he realized that they had escaped and, uh, and they attacked him and it was, I mean, battle Royal, but, uh, the team was separated, and Phoenix and Beast, 
uh, went one way and Scott and the rest of the team went this other, the volcano erupted and uh, each group thought the other was dead. And this led to a series of, I mean, it was like a year or something before uh, each side found out that the other was alive. And in the meantime, Xavier thought that the X-Men were dead and he went off uh, with Princess Lalandra and, uh, you know, Gene and Hank thought that their friends were dead. And in the meantime, the X-Men were adventuring all over the globe. They were in Ireland. They were in Japan. They were in Canada. I mean, it was all over and they were trying to get home. You know, it was just a really incredible uh, run of stories. But uh, before we go on, it's time for me to remind everybody that you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle, Camille Richardson, and Drew Bittner. And I had just been running my mouth, but maybe somebody else wants to say a little something about the X-Men and that particular run that I was talking about or about some other team, because, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, Drew and Julian, we haven't really gotten to you guys. Okay. So, uh, much like Camille, I'll probably have to go with the X-Men. Uh, because, like, back then, that was probably the thing that got me into reading comic books as, like, a regular thing. Into, like, actually reading comic books all the time. Before, they were just, you know, comic books were just in the store. And, like, oh, yeah, this one looks all right. But, yo, Jim Lee X-Men, though? Nothing, nothing stopping that. Like, is the, that that is, you know, it has to be something like X Men number one sold eight point five million copies. Like, that's like thriller, you know, basically hmm. thriller of comics. Like, it is the best, sold the most copies. It's amazing to this day. Every time I read it, I love it. Uh, I wasn't even a Marvel fan right there. Like, I, I don't never, I never considered myself a Marvel fan as a kid. Like, I like the X Men because I only read the X Men. I couldn't care less. Part of me is still like, I don't even know why the Avengers are considered cool. Like, they're only cool because they downplayed the X-Men because of business stuff. Because X-Men are way cooler. They got a dude <laughs> with claws out of his hands and a Cajun that can throw cars that explode. Nothing's better than that. <laughs> they had all the best video games. They had all the best toys. They had the better cartoon. They had the better clothes. They're just better. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 90s, 90s mutant books are what? got me in and yeah i read it like at this point like i've read at least 550 issues of just regular x-men oh. and then like when they split i read most of everything until like i stopped reading marvel comics so i'm pretty like that was my thing even when they purposely ruined it because they weren't making money off of it for some reason mm. and you know they had to, and they had to make the Avengers into X-Men with Avengers Academy and all the other stuff, like and Uncanny Avengers. Like you had to make the Avengers into the X-Men for them to be cool. Okay. I get it. I understand. Uh but yeah, those Fatal Attracts is one of my favorite. You know, Wolverine lost his medal. Mm. Professor Rex, white Magneto's mind. He's like, I'm not playing with you no more. Eric. And mm. you know, then we got Joseph. The clone of Magneto later. He was younger. Sending Rogue's heart all a flutter. And her love triangle with Gambit. It was great. Great times. Great times. <laughs> great times. <laughs> True, what about you? Uh, okay, a few quick hits. Um, if you're really into, um, you know, 1970s Burn Claremont X-Men, 
I would ask you to look up uh, burnrobotics.com. That's John Burns' website, burnrobotics.com. Uh, click on the fanfic tab and look up Elswen because he's been doing his own fanfic version of the story as he would have taken as he would have taken it from oh the like, Dark Phoenix story yeah what? the Dark Phoenix story on on forward and yeah he's like sixteen issues in now um, it's it's amazing stuff he does a great story he um, he wraps up the Dark Phoenix story and. He he does an awful lot of stuff that you'll you'll be very surprised at. So I would advise you to look up that look up his website, look up those books, and it's it's all pencil artwork with you know his his own hand lettering. So you know. Oh but, hell but yeah! Give, give that give that a look. So you're, you're gonna love it. Uh, second thing, my favorite team. Um, I'll, I'll go with an offbeat choice. I'm not gonna say X Men. Um, I'm gonna say Harbingers. The, the classic Harbingers mm. from Valiant mm. back in the 90s. Yeah. Um, a team led by this, you know, uh, you know, world-class, powerful, you know, polymath psychic named Sting. Um, he basically gave this group of people powers because that was his power. He could, he could, he could, you know, un- unlock a latent mutation or special power that they had, and he put them together as a as a strike squad to take down the harbinger foundation which was you know covertly working toward world domination so my favorite marvel team has got to be alpha flight um Mm. huge huge fan of alpha flight they spun out of x-men they were part they were connected to wolverine and his origin but they became so much more than that and my favorite of course goes to the the burn years with that when when he created the team and spun them off into their own book um you know, amazing stories, and their their continuity has been horribly, horribly mangled since um, in in the many, many years since. But um, yeah, I think I think classic Alpha Flight, fantastic stories. In the time we have left, um, I'd sort of like to find out uh, where you're thinking that team books go in the future. I'm so excited! I'm so excited because I'm hoping we finally get redemption with X Men. We actually get the characters who are who they're supposed to be. Um, that was my biggest issue with the movies overall. Uh, the only thing I'm afraid of is that we've wasted a lot of good stories. Like, they're not going to go do and go do Dark Phoenix again for a third time. That would just be stupid, especially when the cartoon got it right the first time. But uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I am so excited to see how that's going to go. And one of the things I've kind of been, like, theorizing, you know, how do we even start that into the MCU? And I think one of the first places we can start that would be with Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel and dealing with, you know, Rogue and that all happening and starting out as a bad guy and eventually being pulled in with the X-Men and starting to learn more about them. So I there's so much they could go and do with it. And I'm so excited for this kind of new future here. Uh, Let's see. Super teams in the future in the comic books. they they may go with the sort of Mission Impossible format where you get one person that's sort of the mastermind, the 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 central character in a team who calls together like a, a random group of heroes to do a specific mission or take on a specific bad guy. Um, you might get more mix mixing and matching of teams and characters and and so on. Um, I think they'll keep things interesting. I would like to see sort of a return of anthology titles, the way that like action used to be, the way that Brave and the Bold used to be, 
where you have these characters that come in and they may be doing team ups or they may be doing like you know sort of relay race where one character starts the story then another takes over and so on um i think there's a lot of innovative potential in comics that is really not being exploited i think they're sort of falling back to the same old tropes of okay we have a team we're gonna go out and fight a bad guy we're now we're gonna do a great big crossover i mean i'm i'm honestly not excited about crossovers like x of swords and king in black and um death metal and all these i'm, I'm just really not very excited about them because i feel like you know too much been there done that and i would really i'd really like to see comic books evolve and i think there's potential to evolve they just haven't done it yet i think as time goes on and um the way if they get if they continue to try to add in new blood and new voices uh some of the influences finally of uh manga anime is going to add in because there's a lot of uh there's a lot of ideas and changes to the idea of what a team of characters are and what a quote unquote super team is going to be and how you structure those stories that i think uh a lot of people who grew up you know from just watching let's say anime on cartoon network during tsunami to people who are die hard into like the newer stuff or grew up watching Naruto or as time goes on, some of that stuff is going to start folding its way into the American superhero comic. So even, you know, Drew just brought up X of stores and I'm not, I don't read it, but somebody told it to me. I was like, Oh, that's a tournament art. They do that in Shonen anime and manga all the time. You get some characters, they fight at least some story progression for the next art. Eventually, more and more ideas of, of of you know these things I think was going to come in and reinvent uh, the superhero team structure along with movies and and TV shows and how they uh, need to change things to make them work for television is going to then feed back into the original medium and along with diversifying the characters and changing them and making ones kind of newish kind of not uh, the the superhero team is is going to change and then you also have adult fare like the boys so i think all these type of things are going to feed in and we'll get different interpretations or, or do flips remixes of what we've been used to i would personally like to see uh more super team team ups and uh, the uh, end all be all for me was when they finally got around to doing uh, that JLA Avengers crossover. I mean, and of course, that was on the heels of, uh, somewhat on the heels of X-Men, Teen Titans, and some of the individual crossovers. But, um, you know, I, I, I think about the uh, early Bronze Age Avengers Defenders uh, team-up uh, or, or fight. The or war. Yeah, <laughs> you know, about the over the evil eye, you know. And, and that was some good stuff. And it, it follows that whole rationale. If one superhero is good, a team is going to be better. And if one team is good, two teams or more teams are going to be better. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I would like to see personally, because, you know, for right now, uh, the only place that you've really seen uh, teams teams of superheroes of color uh, have been in independent comics. And uh, I'd love it if the mainstream uh, comic companies would be able to kind of get that right or do something you know, that was uh, significant as opposed to something like The Crew, you know. Not there's anything wrong with The Crew, but not there's anything particularly right with The Crew either. So, um, but it, there, there's so much rich territory that has yet to be mined with all of that. And, um, you know, I would, I would just love to see them do that. So, 
Anyway, uh, look, on that note, um, I, I have to thank my panelists and you, too, for tuning in, because, of course, Fantastic Forum uh, is also a television show. And uh, check your local listings, but you can always find it if you visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. Uh, this particular show re-airs each and every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m., and uh, we are also available as a podcast on all those platforms where podcasts are available and through the Great Geek Refuge. So um, I'm just going to encourage you to try and be safe. Uh, The pandemic is spreading worse than ever. Now is the time, even though you might have pandemic fatigue setting in, now is the time to redouble your efforts in terms of any uh, precautions that you may be taking. And please uh, come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station.